So, Michaela, mm-hmm. as we uh, sit here in your home studio to record today's podcast episode, I'm looking at uh, this four-legged furry creature at your feet here, Ella. We haven't had an update for a while. What's the damage bill up to on the furniture and stuff? Well, we've had a desex and had some um, trainers and psychological people <laughs> uh, deal with her. Um, and she's been good. She hasn't chewed much lately, just Duncan's work socks for some reason. Yeah, right. Because he'd love that. But um, the funny thing is she has to be in our studio because she barks too much if she's not in with me. I can see why. She's getting lots of attention from you. And she's giving me this look like, I know you. You're the guy that said I should go back to the pound. <laughs> that's right, Ella. I think that's why she barks at me when I turn up here. Yes, I even gave her a bone and everything to lock in the bathroom while we recorded, but that still didn't work. She wanted to tear down the door. So she's won, and she's now sitting next to me here in the studio because that's what she does all day, all day here with me. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> Those he puppy wanted to dog eyes. He wanted to kill you. I did not. I just suggested that you should find a new home for her. <laughs> Welcome to the Tradies Business Show, helping you get off the tools and into true business ownership so you can spend more time doing the things that matter most. Now, here are your hosts, Warwick Bidwell and Michaela Clark. So, as Ellis Bar- continues to stare at me... go on the podcast. Oh, she licked. <laughs> she licked the microphone. That's even better. Uh, so, guest guest cameo appearance by Ella the dog. But, um, yeah, look, today's episode's been a long time coming. We, um, we've had a couple of failed attempts at, uh, at getting Jorgen on the show. He's a busy, busy man. So, um, our guest today is uh, Jorgen Gullestrup. I, I d- definitely didn't say that very well, and you'll you'll actually hear Jorgen Points pronounce for trying. his name Points properly. for trying. Um, but Jorgen is uh, heads up an organisation called Mates in Construction, which is a a uh, charity. Um, but rather than just raise money for a cause, what they do is actually work with uh, people in construction trades uh, around the issue of suicide and mental health. So, um, unfortunately, it's a very big issue, not just in Australia, but obviously an Australian organisation um, based up here in Queensland. Big problem. Uh, mates in construction are doing a heck of a lot of work around this, and they've got some great results with the programs that they've rolled out. And um, I think it's an issue that um, not just suicide, but mental health in general, has so much stigma around it, and people seem reluctant to have conversations about it. So uh, we thought it was important that we uh, we had a conversation about this on the Tradies Business Show. You know, our podcast goes out to thousands of tradies all around the country. Um, so I think, you know, everybody needs to listen to this, whether you're a tradie or a tradie wife, uh, or just working for another trade business. I think it's important that all of us get upskilled in actually supporting our, our fellow man and woman. Yeah. And I found this uh, interview really interesting to help me get insight into, um, how my husband works and, and what he needs when he's down. And, um, you know, I've realized that the things I was trying to do was exactly what I shouldn't have been doing. Mm. So uh, I think there's some great advice in here as well as how to get some more help. Absolutely. So joining us today on the Tradies Business Show is Jorgen, and I'm not even going to try and pronounce your last name, Jorgen, uh, from Mates in Construction. Welcome to the Tradies Business Show, mate. Thank you. <laughs> so, What is that last name? It's uh, Gullestrup, Jorgen Gullestrup. I'm glad I didn't try that one, mate. <laughs> there wouldn't be too many Australians that could get that one right. John Smith will do. John Smith. <laughs> so, uh, so, Jorgen, you're uh, head of Mates in Construction, and uh, 
for the listeners that don't know well who you are personally and also who mates in construction are and what they do can you can you give us a bit of background and tell us a bit about yourself and about your organization um, yeah, of course. Uh, uh, it's Jordan Drop and, and um, some of your listeners might uh, by now have worked out that I wasn't born in Australia. <laughs> um, so um, I was born in Denmark and I moved to Australia in, in 1988. Um, and, and a big part of why I moved was that um, um, I was sort of trying to um, to get a restart. I had uh, a period of uh, of not so good uh, mental health um for a period of time before that, um, so so I've been to, in Australia since 1988. I'm a plumber by trade, and uh, worked on, on a number of different sites. And um, and I suppose I did the uh, the things that uh, that us migrants do very well is I sort of saw the things that could be different and could be just like the place I decided to leave. And um, so I was sort of quite critical of things. And and the, the natural progression for me was so to become a, a union official. <laughs> of course. Um, and uh, and I was a union official with the plumbers union for about thirteen years. And uh, uh, but th- through that period, I we lost several of our members to suicide. And uh, and each time it happened, I sort of uh, came to the realization that it, that it was only really a matter of coincidence that that I wasn't part of the statistic. And uh, and it just seemed so meaningless uh, when you um, when you went and saw the family of somebody who died by suicide and tried to. Help them out with the the various industry benefits that was available to them. It's a, um, it would just be much better if we could do something before the fact. Mm. Um, so uh, not only me, but uh, but other people within the industry, a number of people in the industry, started to say that we actually needed to look into uh, um, to suicide and mental health within the construction industry long before anyone else was really doing it. Um, and we had some research done uh, back in. Um, in um, about it was handed down about 2006. I looked at suicide rates, and uh, and it sort of showed what um, what we all really knew anecdotally anyway was that uh, suicide rates were uh, very high in our industry, far higher than amongst other men in, in Queensland and in Australia, and particularly our young workers were at risk. So that's sort of the uh, the background to um, to what we are doing and. And, and why I'm doing it. Um, and at that time, I decided that um, it was probably time for me to have a midlife crisis. So um, so I quit my job and uh, uh, was going to go backpacking through Europe <laughs> and Asia. Um, but um, at that time, the, the the report on suicide had been handed down and there was some, some people in the industry saying, well, you know, it's sort of been one of the things you've been talking about, maybe... Um, um, you should put your mouth, your money where your mouth is, and um, and um, and and come and help us uh, put it together. So that's how I got involved in it. Mm. So, Jorgen, you mentioned you had uh, not so good mental health. Uh, I, I know it's a very personal thing to talk about, but could you expand on that a little for us, man? I mean, what did that look like for you? Uh, what did it look like for me? It looked uh, it looked like um, a period between when I was. Uh, probably 16, 17, and, uh, and 23, um, where I can't actually remember much from that period because it's just a dark hole. But I just had a um, six years or something like that where it was uh, like living behind a plate of glass and you couldn't, um, I couldn't engage with people around me and I felt I was a burden to everyone and, and uh, 
I was a fraud and all those kind of negative feelings that you can have. And, uh, and that at times that uh, people would probably be better off if it wasn't there. So um, I was on all sorts of medications as, um, as they did and as they do. And, uh, and some of it was very good and some of it wasn't very helpful. Um, and at the end of it, um, I just come, came to the conclusion that if, if things was going to change, I probably had to be part of the solution as well. And, uh, and that's when I, I decided to try to go to Australia with my, my wife at the time um, to sort of try to reinvent myself as a well person rather than a sick person because uh, I've had all those years where every conversation started with how are you going and, and with a bit of a, you know, that sort of, uh, um, um, you know, the, I sort of become my illness rather than, um, than the illness was part of who I was. Mm. So, um so that's sort of where it came from. So I certainly went through a period where, um, and I had um, um, a suicide attempt as well, and and um, and things like that. And one of the things that struck me today was uh, uh, when I did have my suicide attempt, and I was admitted to um, the emergency department. The the doctor there was uh, very supportive of me, so he said, uh, "I'm not going to admit you to a psych ward. I'm going to admit you to a general ward, so it's not on your record." Hmm. And that sort of made me think is that, is it actually that, do we have so much stigma around mental health that it's actually better to deny people the best possible professional treatment mm. so they don't get exposed to the stigma around mental health? Mm. And so why do you think it is so hard, um, and particularly for, you mentioned that young workers are at most at risk. Why do you feel that that is particularly those young ones? I... I think we, I think it's probably hard for 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 all of us because uh, you know um, mental health and and depression doesn't discriminate. You know, one in five of us are likely to experience a um, diagnosable mental health condition over a twelve month period, and more of, more than half of us will experience it over a lifetime. But why it can become quite dangerous, particularly for young men, um, when they get depressed, is that we are very solution focused we're problem solvers and uh, and you go through all of those kind of things and if you particularly if you go through it yourself and you don't get any help with it um it's not that hard to be very one-tracked about what the solutions are where where sort of suicide can become one of those uh, things that could be a solution and uh maybe in our industry when we look at the literature the the most the strongest mitigating factor, the strongest protective factor against suicide is uh, what we call connectedness. So if we are connected to a purpose of some kind, and that might be, uh, you know, a really good family, it might be sport, it might be a church, it might be all sorts of things where we're really strongly connected with a purpose, we're much less likely to die by suicide. Um, so when we look at young men in our industry, uh, we work an awful long hours. We are, you know, often six days and sometimes even seven days a week uh, when the work is on. So if you want to connect the way that, that young people, you know, might want to connect, so maybe through sports or something like that, it's actually very difficult to do while you're working in this industry. And uh, and maybe then um, we substitute those connections with um, with Friday night in the pop or with social media or things like that that um, – that might not be the most healthy ways to connect. Yeah, it's uh, 
and I have had my own experience with uh, mental health issues as as a young guy, about similar age to you, Jorgen, and mm. and uh, had my own uh, brush with suicide. But people have asked me since then, you know, what what stopped me? Um, yes. And for me, it was exactly that. You know, you talk about that feeling of connectedness. I actually, I thought about, uh, you know, my family, my parents, and I thought about some of the people that were in my life and some of the, the, I guess, um, activities that I wanted to experience but I hadn't yet. And, you know, those thoughts actually turned me away from that uh, from that attempt. So, um I guess that time thing is hard and that's a real cultural thing with the construction industry and a number of other industries, uh, not just in Australia, but but around the world. How, I mean, how do you guys actually go about shifting that and, and uh, you know, changing that isolation that people feel? Uh, one of the things that we thought about early in the days when we developed the program um, and we looked around what people were saying about this topic and uh, and the questions at the time, and then this was back in 2007. And, and no matter where we looked was, people were quite hopeless when it came to preventing suicide in men because men are genuinely not very good help seekers. So all the discussion was about how do we improve help seeking in men and what can we do to improve help seeking in men. And... Uh, when we then looked at it, I said, well, actually, if we're not very good at it, then focusing and asking us to do it is really setting ourselves up for failure. Mm. We're actually playing into our weakness. So we then said, what is our strength? And, um, and one of the things that we, um, uh, we talked about earlier uh, was that men are very solution-focused, very um, problem-solving focused. And, and while we might not be very good at asking for help it's actually a very deeply embedded part of our culture that we should always offer help hmm. that you should stand up for your mate and and you should help your mate out and all those kind of things so um when it says how are we actually going to change this culture so we're not going to play to our weakness we're actually going to play to our strengths so we designed our program not around help seeking but around help offering so if we could actually get construction workers just like me to be prepared to go to somebody and say, mate, you, you don't look like things are all right. Well, you know, what's up? Uh, we actually thought we could change things. And, um, and the history with the program have shown that that is absolutely true. Men are great help offers and really prepared to do it and do it extremely well. As do women, but uh, but it's it in 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 the in the in the context of a, of of a, a thing where we might not actually be good to ask for help for ourselves. We're certainly always good with offer advi- offering advice and offering help to others, um, and that's really the strength we're playing to. It's really interesting because um, my husband is a tradie, and there's been a number of times that he's really struggled, and I think he's um, really needed some help. And, you know, I've talked about saying, you should go talk to someone, why don't you? And, no, no, I'm right, I'll handle it myself. And I kept thinking, how how can I get him to get some help without forcing it upon him, but him making the choice? And it's just so interesting that you say that, that I felt like, you know, if his mates had reached out to him one-on-one or, you know, actually started that conversation, that they could have really helped 
helped him come out because he often says, I've got no one to talk to. So, you know, and he doesn't always want to talk to his wife about things and I, and I get that. Mm. So it's just so true that they, they do need those people to to offer that help to them. Well, there's so much of our um, identity sits in that, isn't it? Uh, that that we are the fixers. Uh, I certainly know at home that uh, I'm not a licensed electrician, but if the toaster is not working, my wife is coming with the toaster with me for fixing it, or with the doors is sticking, or anything like that. Um, I'm, my role in the home is a fixer. Um, my wife is doing most of the relationships around the family and around the friends and, and the social diary and all those kind of things. Um, that's she does that much better than me. Um, so it's about actually saying, well, let's, let's just stick to, to within the area where we're good. Um, the other thing we should note is that what we know from the literature is that people who die by suicide generally, generally, we can never completely generalize, but people who die by suicide generally don't want to die. They actually desperately want to live. But often they come to a place where they think that that's the only solution they got left to them. And therefore it's so powerful when somebody else walks up next to you and say, mate, you're not right. Can I help you? Because we, we, you know, as long as it sort of feels safe for us to do, we will reach out in those circumstances and say, well, things are a bit tough and I don't really know what to do and whatever, so so on. Um, And we don't actually need a lot of hope to pick another option. Uh, than suicide. We don't need a lot of encouragement. We just need a little bit at the right time. So that's why it can be so powerful, even just to ask the question, are you okay? Yeah, and and just back on, you know, that fixing. I know when um, my husband is particularly not in a great place that he will actually go, I need to go build something. And so he will go out into the yard and he will build something or add something to his shed or, and that's his way of dealing with whatever's going on. So it's really interesting um, that that's really helped me understand his behaviour more. Hmm. That's where we feel home. It's, it's where we get our identity from. You know, I'm a plumber. That's me. Yeah. So, Jorgen, so Jorg- so uh, mates in construction, you know, this thing uh, kicked off what are we talking, like 15 years ago now, 10, 15 years? No, nah, 2008. So okay. um, so we've been around for seven years. Right, right. And seven years and a bit. And in that time, um, what's what's been the the journey for the organisation itself? And, uh, you know, I mean, can you give us a sense of, I suppose, how many people you work with and how you do that? How, how, do, you, how do you actually get out there and interrupt um, some of these trends and, and actually help? Uh, construction workers? Um, well, um, we started in Queensland in 2008. Uh, the project started in 2007, but Mates and Construction started in 2008, and uh, we've expanded to New South Wales, South Australia, and Western Australia since then. Uh, currently, we have uh, just over 100,000 workers in the program nationally, and about 55,000 of them are in Queensland. And we have a network of about 9,000 volunteers um, and they're volunteer connectors and, and how the mating construction program works is that we go to a site or workplace uh, it can be a large workplace it can be a small workplace um, but we go in and we have a, about an hour's conversation with everybody in that workplace including the receptionist including the um, um, 
the manager and the tradies and the employees and the, and the, and the apprentices. And we have a one hour talk about suicide as a preventable problem we have in an, in, in our industry. It's a very tangible thing we can actually do something about. It's all about mental health, but suicide is actually the problem we can solve. Um, we then talk about what it looks like when one of your mates is struggling and how we might pick it up when somebody's not doing too well. And then what we can do about it. And um, at the end of that session, we then ask people to volunteer if they want to be part of mates and construction as a volunteer. And uh, we normally get sort of 20 to 30% of people volunteering to become what we call connectors. And uh, as a connector, as a mate, we can keep you safe while connecting you to help. So when we do the general awareness training, everybody gets a white sticker and we put that in the heart hat that says we are in the mates and construction program. Um, and when you're a connector, you get a green sticker. So when you, with a white sticker, see that one of your mates might be struggling a bit and you might ask her things are okay and he's, oh, well, things are sort of a bit, bit average at the moment, um, all you really have to do is find a guy with a green sticker because they would have the training about what to do next. Um, and if we can get about one in 20 of people on site trained as connectors, then there's a fair chance that you will find one when you need it. Um, the connectors, uh, we give them four hours worth of training and uh, and we, we a little bit about how do we have conversations around mental health, how do we ask about suicide, uh, how do we connect somebody up to help when they're struggling, motivate them to get help. And then finally, we have um, people who we call assist workers. Uh, so that's people who participate in a two-day workshop Um who can intervene when somebody is suicidal and make sure that they're safe until they can get the professional help that might help, that they might um, assist them. So we can, we can compare it um, to physical first aid. Uh, if, I, if I cut my finger, the first aid officer will look at it and say, do you need stitches or not? No, I'll put a bit of a bandage on it and, and things are good. If I have a heart attack on the site, the, Builder's labor would come and, and give me CPR, and I'll trust him to do that. But I'll prefer if he didn't do the open heart surgery. <laughs> I'd probably prefer that a qualified person did that. But if he didn't give me that CPR, I wouldn't make it. Mm. And uh, suicide intervention and suicide first aid is very much the same thing. If we don't intervene at the right time, we might actually not get a chance to give people the help they need um, because suicidal thoughts can be deadly. Um, we then support that network. Once we've done that on site, the, that program belongs to them. They can do with that what they want to. They can say, we tick the boxes, everything is good. Uh, but most sites actually get quite enthusiastic about saying, well, mental health is actually something that is quite important to us. And they do amazing and fantastic things around awareness and barbecues and, and different things um, to start changing the culture on our site. Uh, we have field officer, what officers will go out on those sites and, and support um, the companies and the, and the, and the workers who joined the program. And, uh, and we have case managers so that when somebody might be suicidal, um, a connector picks it up and an assist worker might have a talk to them, make sure that they are safe. But of course they didn't get there for no reason. Um, so we have a case manager, what got you to that place and how can we actually take all those rocks off your back sort of one by one and, and just sort, you know, break, break the issues up in, in, in manageable chunks we can deal with and connect people up to the help they need. And then um, uh, we also operate a 24-7 
helpline and uh, um, where anyone who are struggling uh, with any connection to the construction industry uh, can call 24-7 and get help here now. Mm. And if anyone wants the number for that, that's that's one three hundred six four two one one one. So one three hundred six four two one one one. If anyone um, want any advice and help immediately. And that's something I was going to say, Jorgen. Is uh, you know, I guess from the perspective of your organisation, uh, you're working with some of those sites where you know there's there's a number of tradespeople in one place, which makes it. It's uh, easier for you guys to get in front of the most um, people, but I, I suppose a lot of our listeners are, um, you know, self-employed, probably working on their own, um, working crazy long hours as business owners in the trades, and quite often they're not, you know, they're not going to be on sites like that to to be exposed to mates in construction. And obviously, there's that that helpline that you guys have set up um, that they could access, but. Are there some tips that you have or, um, you know, some words of advice for somebody listening if, if they might be going through a tough time or they've been through a tough time uh, and they sort of, you know, they, they still have that aspect of isolation? I mean, what can they do for themselves uh, to perhaps prevent getting that far down the track with their mental health? Well, the, the earlier we deal with issues the more likely we are to resolve them. Unfortunately, that's easier said than done for us as men. Um, we tend to not do that. But, but of course, uh, if we deal with something um, while it's a minor issue, it becomes a lot easier to, to deal with. I want to say something specifically about the thoughts of suicide. Um, thoughts of suicide are actually quite common. When... Um, when uh, we uh, when people have been surveyed and, and asked, can you remember having thought about suicide over the last twelve months? Roughly one in twenty will be able to recall having had a thought of suicide. Mm. So that's actually quite common. Mm. Um, it's less rare. It's less common that people act on their thoughts of suicide, and um, it is even less common that people die from suicide. Luckily, um, but it's really important to think of that. Thought of, the best analogy to that thought of suicide is like an oil lamp in your car. You wish it doesn't go off, but if it goes off, it's actually a good thing because it gives you some choices. Mm-hmm. You can actually stop the car and you can, you can, you can get a service, you can top up the oil, you can do all those kind of things. You actually got some choices to deal with it mm-hmm. because if you don't, you know that sooner or later the engine is gonna, gonna blow up. And thoughts of suicide are actually very similar to that. It doesn't, it doesn't, Say that you are uh, that you're going to act on it or anything like that, but it is a very clear sign that you need to have a look at your life and you need to do something about it. Mm. Um, but I think, in the context of what we are talking about here, it's probably even more important than that for the rest of us to be aware of what it might look like when somebody's not doing too well, because. If we as men are not very good at seeking help, and then really when you think about it, there's, uh, you know, there's all those kind of uh, um, uh, stigma attached to, to help seeking about being weak and being um, not being able to manage your life and all those kind of things. So if you're really struggling and really feeling down, actually asking for help can be quite difficult, yeah. even harder than for the rest of us. Yeah. 
So it's really power. It's actually, it's, it's probably, you know, when it comes to taking that sort of risk, it's probably better for the rest of us, which are doing quite well to take that risk and asking, are you okay? Um, so the things that we really need to keep an eye out for is uh, if somebody we know have had some sort of loss, uh, a loss that is significant to them, and that could be a very wide range of a loss for some people losing a pet, um, other people can lose a family member and, and deal quite well with it, but for some, some even losing a pet or losing a business or losing a job or, or losing face or any of those kind of things. Uh, when that happens, it's probably a good idea just to keep a bit of an eye on, on people. If we know that about somebody, just keep a bit of an eye on behavior. And if we start seeing changes in behavior, uh, either negatively or positively, like uh, somebody could be aggressive or start drinking or drinking or drinking more or, or, you know, being a bit more careless and it's probably just worthwhile. Just keep an eye on this. Is, is things all right? And, uh, but it could also be positive that, that, that suddenly somebody is putting their affairs in order and everything like that. So when we see that, we just keep a note. And if we get that gut feeling that not all is right, it's really important that we actually take the chance mm. and we ask the question, are you okay? Um, because for us, the worst thing that could happen is a bit of embarrassment and maybe an awkward laugh. I say, no, 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 everything is all right. I was just a bit tired. I got to bed last night, late last night. Um, so the worst thing that could happen is a bit of awkwardness and a, and a bit of uh, silence. Uh, but if we don't ask, the worst that could happen is somebody could die. Mm. And, and if I have to weigh up the risk of embarrassment against the risk of losing a mate, I would actually prefer the embarrassment. I, I feel like, Part of the the problem, and you've sort of spoken to this already, Jorgen, is that many of us just don't know what to do or say. Like if I ask a mate, hey, are you okay? And he says, no, I'm not. Then I'm thinking, holy crap, what do I do now? <laughs> How do I talk to him, you know? So, and I think for, I mean, we have a lot of uh, wives and, and spouses, uh, female partners of tradies that listen to the show as well. I, I, I suspect that they're, listening to this episode thinking yeah that's all well and good but what do i say like what if he what if my husband starts like he cries or he says no i'm not okay and i can't handle it anymore i mean that's what you're talking about is we need to equip um the support people uh again are there some simple things they could do or, or uh, i guess you know i mean it's a it's a difficult area and it obviously requires some uh, some good training and education but are there some simple things that support people can do once they've asked that question, you know, if they take that risk, yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and I think it's, I think it's, it's, you're totally right. And 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 part of that problem is that also that when we are really uncomfortable about asking, it's very hard not to let that on. Mm. And if somebody already feels that they're burdened to everybody else and disconnected and feeling down, then they wouldn't really want to burden you extra by saying yes. So the, the 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 risk is that if, if that becomes too obvious that we are really uncomfortable and it's really inconvenient for me if you say yes, um, then chances are that people might out actually out of pure consideration for us lie to us. Mm. Um, so that's that's an important thing. So therefore, it's really important that we know what to do, and this is this is why we have connectors in the workplace because when, when if I'm a, a wide sticker guy, and I ask. I actually know that it's no harder than saying, oh, gee, we better go and get some extra help here. You know, this is a little bit above us. We better get some extra help and we get a connector in. Um, and they, they would then be equipped to do the next. So 
one of the tips is let's ask in a way that we actually making it clear that um, that we are prepared for a good a- for, for 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 an honest answer. Um, so when we ask the question, we ask it in a way that makes it as easy as possible for people to say yes. So if I say to you, uh, "Well, you're not thinking about suicide, are you?" Um, I'm almost saying to you, I would actually prefer if you said no. Yeah, <laughs> please say no. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, or you're not thinking about doing something stupid and, and, and I'm not going to admit to doing something stupid, all those kind of things. So it's just a little bit about thinking that in the way we we ask, we actually flag our own, um, uh, what do you call it, uncomfortableness in asking the question. Mm. Um, the next thing is that um, when somebody tells us that they're struggling, what people often really need is actually to tell their story as opposed to hearing your solution. And that's probably the hardest thing for us to men is because for, as men, because that's what we do. You give me a problem, I'll give you a solution. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how we work. Um, so when people start telling us our, their problems, are, you know, we would often almost instantly go into to fixing mode and, and say, well, you know, you should have left a long time ago and all that. Sort of, so it's not that bad. Blah, blah, blah. Well, that's not particularly helpful at that time. Um, and often can, somebody, can make it uh, somewhat worse because then they just feel more acutely aware of their failings. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, exactly. So much more, um, much more, let's just talk about this. It sounds like you're really doing it tough. And, 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 and um, yeah, I haven't been there myself, but I can certainly feel that you're not ha- too happy about it. Mm. Um and at some stage, um, it might just be a good idea to agree that we probably should get some help here. See, for for people who are suicide, we often think there's only two options. We often think that the option is either to live with the pain we're in or to die. And actually, there's a third option that sometimes we can see when we start talking about it. And the third option is just not to do anything now, mm. just wait and see, because sometimes things works out and, uh, you know, tomorrow's a different day and all those kind of things. So sometimes even just say, well, maybe we should just give it a breather for a day or two or go and see your doctor, your GP, or, or call up the, the, the mating construction hotline and let's talk to someone. Um, that's really useful. Mm. Yeah, it's really just about uh, taking a pause, isn't it? Taking time to reflect and not having to to rush any action. You know, whether it's the fixing solutions or whether it's the uh, you know the more drastic uh, decision to go through with it. Okay. So, and it's it's really important to understand that um, suicide is not an illness. Suicide is not a condition of an illness. Suicide is a behaviour. It's a choice. It's something we do. Um, and given that it's a choice, um, obviously there's a, there's a link between uh, people who have mental illness that might more often choose to suicide than people who don't have mental illness and so on. Um, but given it's a choice, we can always give people options and we can all have a role. It's it's not all doctors and, and secret squirrel stuff with psychologists and see people like it's actually very powerful for just us as ordinary people to care and mm. take the time to listen. Yeah, it's ironic in in the age of social media that, uh, you know, we have more people feeling more disconnected than ever before, um, and yet we have all of this amazing technology which is supposed to keep us all, you know, in touch with everybody. So uh, I think, 
you know, some of the old ways of reaching out and, and grabbing a cup of coffee or, a, a you know, a fizzy water or something uh, with your mates or, you know, making time to sit down with your spouse or whatever it might be and actually having some of that, that physical social contact I think is very powerful as far as therapy goes. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about you, Warwick, but, but um, when I was at the space where um, suicide was an option for me, I certainly felt that it was much more complex than I could put in 160 characters. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, mate. I mean, I couldn't even think of picking up the telephone and articulating it. So, <laughs> so put it down to 160 characters would be was just about impossible. That's right. That's right. So, uh, Jorgen, thanks very much, mate. Look, I know it's it's um, you know we we really appreciate you sharing your personal story. Uh, you know, I I I know for me, regardless of the fact that you know. My my serious uh, brush with suicide was uh, over twenty years ago. Now it's still um, you know it's still a big thing to talk about that. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, as far as our listeners, either accessing mates in construction or supporting the organisation, uh, what's what's the best way they can get in touch with or find out more about mates in construction? Um. If, if anything we've been talking about here have sort of stirred something up, the best thing to do is to call the 1300-642-111 number um, without delay and talk to somebody about it. Mm. If, um, if you're in a workplace and say, well, actually, we wouldn't mind having a field officer coming out, having a chat to us about um, mental health and, and suicide prevention and, and maybe even run some program there. If, you see, if you're in Queensland, simply just call our office on 07 3833 1140 um, or 7383 1140 or send us an email. And uh, really, really important, uh, we are a charity and we rely entirely on the generosity of our industry. We get a bit of money from the federal government, but we don't get any money from the state government. And we are uh, relying on um, uh, donations and support from the industry. So, um, if, uh, if you have any spare cash coming up to the end of the financial year, um, there's tax deductible donations to be made. They could also be made in the start of the financial year. We're quite open to that. Um, <laughs> any time of the year is fine. If you have a, a, a barbecue on site, a gold coin donation, or, or you know, want to start knitting and selling it, whatever you feel like doing, um, we're certainly happy to, um, to be the beneficiary of it. Great stuff. And we'll put those numbers and a link to the websites and everything uh, in the show notes for this episode. Jorgen, one final question, mate, uh, that we like to ask all of our guests, and I think today it's particularly important, is if you had, well, instead of a 1,000 tradies, we normally ask if you had a 1,000 tradies in the room, what's one piece of advice? I think we'll, we'll ask you, if you had every single tradie in Australia in a room, uh, what's one piece of advice you would like to leave them with, mate? That is that we can make a difference, that we are not bound to the suicide rate and the mental health rate we have. We don't want them, and we can change it. We don't have to rely on anyone else to do that. And in Queensland, we have changed it. Our suicide rates have come down, and if we do more of it, we'll get better results. Great stuff, mate. Well, look, thanks again for coming on the show. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll put the links in the show notes. Um, and it's definitely something worth uh, getting behind. And, look, if you are you know, listening to this and you, you're feeling not okay, um, it is okay to reach out, isn't it, Michaela? It is. And uh, 
the listeners know my husband never listens to the show, so maybe if there's one episode I can get him to listen to. It'll be this one. <laughs> That's right. Thanks again, Jorgen. Thank you. So, again, hopefully you got some information out of that interview and uh, please go to our website, All Mates in Construction website, if you want to get some more information or need some help. Uh, and we will have the links on our website, which is tradiesbusinessshow.com, and you can subscribe to get uh, all the episodes there. Absolutely. Until next week, take care of yourselves, be kind, and, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Tradies Business Show with Warwick Bidwell and Michaela Clark. Want to get off the tools into true business ownership? Find out how at tradiesbusinessshow.com.